In this episode, John Barklow shares his experience of being trapped between a fallen horse and a pile of rocks and the rest of his 2018 season. You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford professional archer hey everyone i'm christy titus and you are listening to archery maniac we cover everything archery from the hunting side to the tournament side with stories tips and tactics gear reviews and more that that helped my tuning game so much when i made sure that all my arrows were square i'm staring into his eyes blood's dripping off of its tines mud is everywhere the clarity these mavens offer is amazing i'm just like spider-man you know on this rock just laying there (laughs) belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. All right, Archie Maniacs, tonight on the podcast I have John Barklow. Uh, Many of you might know him as the big game manager and designer, the mind behind some of the Sitka stuff that some of you might wear. Um, However, he's just a down-to-earth guy that really loves to bow hunt, just like probably most of the listeners. So uh, today, John and I are just going to talk a little bit about his 2018 season and how that turned out for him and everything along those lines. So it's been a while since John and I talked, so I'm really looking forward to this. So, John, welcome back on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Zach. It has been a while, huh? Yeah. I know, I know you reached out a little a little while ago, and I still had a few hunts in my season. I'm like, oh, man, I kind of want to put them off until the season's over so I can you know, because I wouldn't want to tell you, oh, I'm going on this hunt. I don't know how it's going to turn out. So um, maybe in hindsight, I should have talked to you before I went up those hunts. <laughs> no worries. No yeah. worries at all. So where where did your 2018 season begin? Oh, geez. Well, so I got to tell you, 2018 was fairly unprecedented for me as far as hunts, diversity of hunts, number of hunts. Um you know, was, was real lucky. Um, I literally started off my season, you know, if you want to go all the way to the very beginning, uh, going to Mexico in January, just to shoot some picks and, uh, and get a new bow worked up and, and a bow and arrow combination and, uh, started there. And then from there I went to, uh, British Columbia on a bear hunt in May. Oh, that sounds so, awesome. Yeah, your, uh... that was, on your pig hunt, you said you were working on a new bow workup. Uh, was it was did you have a whole total new bow, or were you working on a new arrow and broadhead combination? What were you working on? Yeah, so both to be quite honest. So uh, got an RX1 Ultra from Hoyt, and uh, kind of wanted to work that up before the bear hunt. And uh, you know, it's it's always nice to get a, a couple kills on a bow if you can before a bigger hunt. And just had that opportunity, but at the same time, I was switching arrows, I was switching spine of arrows, and then I'm a kind of a broadhead fanatic. <laughs> and even though I've got really good broadheads and have had really good results, I've always got to try like a couple broadheads, a couple new broadheads every year. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, it's tough to do that where you and I live in the winter. Um so I felt that was a great opportunity to, you know, it was after one of the trade shows and I was down in Vegas. So the flight wasn't, you know, but a little bump over to Texas and, and it just, it, it was good to just get out and exercise the bow a little bit. Um, you know, see what those, 
arrow broadhead combinations did and and just see what the personality of the bow was you know so it was good mm-hmm. it was fun that's awesome so what uh what broadheads were you testing uh you know i knew you were going to ask me that and i'm trying to think back and i want to tell you one of them um at the time i had not shot this broadhead but it was the rage tripan was one of them and okay. you know that's uh that's a whole rabbit hole obviously we can go down thick versus expandable um but that was one i wanted to try and i had great results but there was a fixed head and i can't remember i'm trying to think off the top of my head what that was um i've been shooting the original ramcat for several years which i'm not I know if you're familiar with that but yeah yeah um it's it's devastating i've never had any issues with that as well the, the, if there's a problem with the ramcat it's it's really more when you're practicing because you pull them out of targets and the blades loosen and you got to constantly be retightening them gotcha. um i, I want to say it was a slick trick i want to say it was one of the slick trick um you know uh viper tricks or one of those it was one of those okay. that i was also trying out down there in texas yeah yeah and then i'd switch from an fmj uh, a 400 spine FMJ to a 340 axis, and um, which was I should have done that years ago, but not not so much the arrow, but the spine. And uh, yeah, I've never looked back from that. So that was really awesome. good. Awesome. And did your uh, how did your hog hunt turn out? Did you get a couple of whacks? Yep. So I ended up uh, I shot one one good size hog. I shot three or four javelina spot and stock. And then um, kind of as a bonus, I ended up shooting a management whitetail down there as well. So it was a pretty good, I think it was a four day, I think it was a four day hunt. And, uh, you know, of course, when you're on a management hunt, all you see is like trophy deer stand in front of you. And, uh, you know, and if you've ever hunted Texas, those guys are like, oh no, you can shoot that deer. And I'm like, I'm at least slightly wise enough to go, yeah, but how much is that deer? Because um, I knew, because I knew the minimum amount of money I was paying for the hunt did not include this 175 inch white tail. Um, but it was, it was super cool to see this thing. Absolutely super cool to see this thing. But, uh, but yeah, no. So I was, I was able to shoot a, a management white tail down there. So That's it was good. Cool. That was the best January I'd ever had by far. Um, I've hunted mule deer and coos before in January for a little bit here and there. Never. A great success so yeah it's a good way to start the year yeah hell yeah so uh what uh what were the results of your broadhead test and which one did you end up taking on your bear hunt so i tell you the one i took on the bear hunt i mean i actually hunted all season with it um uh and we can get into that in a, in, in a little bit but um, i took the tripan cool and i tell you that rage tripan is just it's just devastating um i saw I was telling somebody the other day, but I believe it was, it's five or six bull elk. Um, I either saw a shot this year or saw the results, you know, like went on the, the, the blood trail. Um, all shot with tripans and every one of them was just devastating. I mean, just absolutely crushed them. And, uh, so, you know, one or two might be a, you know, a, somewhat of a data point but but six mature bull elk killed with bows with that broadhead uh told me a lot yeah it told me a lot and you know the thing is uh, you know i know this is a you know going to be published um 
seeing that we're on a podcast and recording, but you know, in the past I wouldn't really talk a lot about expandable broadheads and I like even right now I kind of feel almost embarrassed to talk about it, but they're getting so much better than they ever were. And, you know, I shot the original Rage years ago. I shot the Almer. Um, but I'd always use I always run mechanical with fixed blade heads in my quiver. Um mm-hmm. I'm I'm able to you know, if I get the right combo, I can tune them up. Um, and that's for a couple reasons. But uh, I've never, ever, knock on wood, you know, had a problem shooting something with a mechanical broadhead. But I always just felt I was maybe pushing the envelope a little bit on, on bigger game like bull elk. Uh-huh. Um, but, man, you know, I was in a situation this year, not to jump ahead, where I had a arrow on my string that had a tripan just because it had been really windy that evening and i was like man if i got to take a shot even if it's 20 30 yards i, I want to you know get as little wind drift as possible you know lowest profile arrow i can shoot and so i had a had an arrow with the tripan on there and i ended up you know getting a shot at a bull and uh and you know to great success but i'm like man i did it again you know I shot another bull out with an expandable and I told myself I wasn't going to, but, um, but, but so this no collar, uh, hypodermic this year might be a, an interesting one to, that'll be definitely one that I'll try out as well. Yeah, for yep. sure. I could see, but, but I'll keep, but I'll that. keep running those Ram cats and I'm going to try a four blade whack them this year. Um, yeah, that, 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 yeah, that might be it this year for broadhead, broadhead. Yeah. Out. Yeah. I got you. Have you uh, have you done any looking at like the? I hear a lot about the iron wheels. Have you done any looking into those? The iron wheel is an exceptionally good broadhead. Um, I don't know if you can make it any better. Like the quality is just extremely good, incredibly durable, razor sharp. Um, they fly incredibly well out of at least my setup. You know, I shoot a compound. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot through a bunch of foam and the thing will still shave hair off your arm, you know, assuming you don't put one in the dirt. Right. Um, <laughs> and they have little bleeder blades. And, um, you know, I don't, I like to talk good about product and not bad about somebody else's product. The only thing I would say is in the past, not with the iron will, but just in the past with other uh, two blade fixed, even if they have bleeder blades, so technically a four blade, but for all intents and purposes, a two. Um, the results are amazing, but the blood trails are not. And so if you get in a situation where you shoot something at dark or you shoot something and it runs in the brush or it's raining, uh, I have just not personally, me and my friends had really good luck with, with blood trails with two blades. So with all the great things about the iron well, I just, I I've shot a couple pigs with them, but I, I chose not to carry them in my quiver for, for bigger game. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's, I don't but they're an exceptional a, head. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a very valid reason. And I had never, I've never, I haven't shot them yet. Uh, I filmed uh-huh. an elk hunt in New Mexico this past year where a, where a guy, where a guy shot uh, his elk with it. And uh, I mean, I've, we didn't have to look at the blood trail because the elk only went about yep. 40 yards and we watched him tip right. over dead, you know? So I don't, we didn't even go look for blood. So I can't even tell you whether there was a lot or not because we watched him fall over. <laughs> 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 so, 
So yeah, and some of that terrain down there in that desert southwest, and you know, down into Mexico, even like it, it, it. I don't know what it does. It's like it absorbs the blood, and it's you know, even if you have a halfway decent blood trail, sometimes it's difficult. So you know, ideally, is more the more blood you get on the ground, the even if you don't need to follow it, it's nice to know it's there if you needed it. You know, for yep. me, anyways. Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, I shot a a deer in South Dakota this year. Well, two deer. Uh, mm-hmm. One I never found. I don't. I honestly don't think he died. I I got it all on film, and man, that thing jumped my string like you would not believe. Mm-hmm. And I hit him really high shoulder, and uh, it was downhill quartering away. So he like dropped and started to turn, you know. Mm-hmm. And I hit him super high shoulder, and it came out in the meat of the neck. So mm-hmm. there was almost no blood at all, and and I, yeah, I, I don't even think he died. And then I, the last day of the hunt, I was still hunting through the through the timber, and I snuck into a, a bedded whitetail, and he stood up, and I shot him with oh. a uh, with a kill zone, uh, NAP uh-huh. kill zone. You know, the two blade, it's. It looks it's very it's very similar to a rage. It just has a different locking yeah. system. And uh, man, that thing, I uh, I drew back and I hit him quartering away, and it cut through three ribs on the entry, and went all wow. the way in and lodged into the other side. And it was like he took red paint and started <laughs> spraying everything around there. You know, so I'm following this thing and I just uh, be bopping along and. I had heard him hit something hard. Well, I get down there, and I, there's there's a streak of blood on the ground. It's probably 12 to 14 inches wide, and it's probably, I don't know, 10 yards long. And he, I don't know what he did, but he slid all the way around, and you see this rock, and there's this big old blood spot on it. He just dead-centered that rock. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and then was dead on the other side. It was – I've never seen anything like it. Um, but – Man, yeah, it, like you say that the the conversation of solid or fixed, and then which one to be shooting. You could talk about that for probably a whole year and not have it all covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I think if I went after, I mean, definitely, if, I'm not saying I would, but if I ever could go after like Cape Buffalo, Asiatic Water Buffalo, um, yeah, I would definitely consider shooting a solid. Um, two blade for sure, just to get that penetration. But mm-hmm. you know, I shot American Bison. Uh, I shot him with a three blade fixed, but um, but yeah, no, there's definitely a place for him. Definitely a place for him. But uh, and, and that one in particular is an exceptionally good broadhead. I definitely recommend it to guys if they if they want to try it. You definitely should try it. I think you'd be impressed. Cool, cool. So how did uh, how did it how did it do on your bear hunt? Did you get a chance to whack one and. Test it out on a bear too. Yeah, well, I I, uh, I tried. Um, yeah, I ended up missing a bear at I don't know. We'll call it fifty five, fifty six yards on like I think it was a seven day hunt on like day six. And to this day, I have no idea why I shot low. And uh, it was a great stock though. I literally, me and bears actually get along real well. I'm. I have lots of opportunities. I forget how many stocks I had, um, you know, blowing stocks that week. But I'll bet you, I want to say it was, I probably have it written down somewhere, but I want to say I had like nine stocks and six days on bears over six feet, you know. 
And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I did. You know, uh, that's archery. I mean, all the practice and, and everything, it comes down to that. But it was good because what that did, that, that miss, and I'm not afraid to, you know, not, or I guess I'm not ashamed to talk about it, but, but that miss, what it did is it refocused me, um, to kind of double down my efforts for the summer to get ready for the fall, you know, cause I mean, believe me, I wanted to kill that bear, but if that was a bull elk and I'd missed him, like I'd have been devastated for the rest of the year, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was good to help me kind of refocus and go, all right, maybe my form isn't as good as I thought, you know, maybe my tune on the, on the setup isn't as good as I think it is. And, uh, yeah. So then I went into summer kind of just more determined than ever to get better. That's cool. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it's interesting how uh, an occurrence or something like that, you know, happening that is along those lines will, will make you make a guy step back and be like, well, <laughs> I better do X before, you know, September or whatever else. I, I don't want that to happen on, you know, my big deer or elk or whatever else. And I had a few like that this year. Um, it, and it wasn't really individual. It was kind of the season as a whole where I wasn't overly impressed with how I shot or how my arrow and broadhead combos all worked together. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't blame that on the broadhead company. I don't blame it on anyone. Cause I love the broadheads that I, you know, I shot several different ones this year and I love all of them. I just don't think that I was shooting as good as I should have been. And I don't, I don't think that my bow was quite tuned as well as it needed to be to be shooting the broadheads the way I expected it to. Um, and, you know, you were talking about your hunt, your bear hunt kind of kicked you in over the summer. Well, my season kind of kicked me in like since January, uh, or since like December 9th, I've shot my bow every day except for one day. And mm-hmm. I had a couple other days that I haven't shot. And the only reason I didn't, like my son was born and we stayed the night at the hospital. So <laughs> I, I I'd say that's a good reason, and, Zach, not to shoot your bow. <laughs> you know, my bow was, I could, they, I think they frowned on me trying to shoot it at the hospital, but I did take my right release with me, and I practiced that while there you I was go. in the hospital. <laughs> now that's so, dedication right there. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I've only I've only had, uh, and then I went and filmed a waterfowl hunt, and I brought my right right release there. So, in the last almost two months, I've had one day where I didn't pick up either the right release or the bow and do something with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I just I just wasn't overly impressed with how I performed last year, and the only way I know how to change it is by working harder. So, yeah, so yeah that's the I thing about archery that, that keeps hunt, me engaged. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. you'll never master you'll never master archery, and then you take the bow out in the field and try to, you know, hunt down, stalk, uh, you know, uh, a wily critter. I mean, it's an awesome pursuit, right? It's one I'll do the rest of my life, but I, I don't, you know, I'll never master it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it gives me something to keep working on. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. I I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's 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 always a next level to to archery and bow hunting. You know, no matter what, even if you look out there in the same basin that you've hunted hunted 20 other times 
and that deer is laying in the exact same spot as he was last time you blew that stock up, there's something that's going to be different. You know, whether the wind is blowing in a different direction, the temperature is different, the thermals are acting differently, you know, something about that is going to make it to where you have to do something different to get over there. And yeah, I, that's what keeps it so interesting, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's def- definitely not the same thing every time. That's for, that's for doggone sure. Which is great because <laughs> I have a really strong track record of getting sick of things quickly. <laughs> <laughs> when they get too easy, I'm just like, ah, had enough. And and archery and bow hunting just doesn't do that. It's awesome. So, yeah, no, for me too. For me too. So with your, you know, you you had mentioned how your uh, kind of kicked you into wanting to practice harder and things like that over the summer. So what kind of stuff did you do differently as far as practice comes? I mean, were you shooting angles and uphill and downhill and a little farther maybe to, to feel more comfortable up closer? Like what kind of stuff did you do differently? Yeah, so um, I, I would say all the above. Um, I, I always, you know, once I can get outside, I, I try to always shoot at a 3D target and not, you know, a block unless I'm trying to like tune a broadhead or something like that. I'm I'm a big, big uh, proponent of visualization. Um, But I was just telling a a new guy that showed up at work the other day, we've been working together, Um, you know, and maybe I shouldn't say this because everybody's going to go there now, but uh, in the summertime, I'll just throw a couple 3D targets in my truck, you know, gets uh, light early, and I'll drive to the local ski hill, which is forest service, you know, it's open to the public in the summer, and I'll set up different targets uh, in different little valleys and things. And so I'm a big proponent of that visualization, but but not shooting, you know, flat ground, shooting uphill, downhill, side hill, kneeling, sitting, um, and and just trying to like go through those scenarios and those shot processes. Mm-hmm. But then also spend a couple a couple days a week or a couple mornings a week, you know, shooting it on flat ground at more of a static range, still at a 3D animal, but just trying to make sure that my form's not breaking down. I'm not getting lazy. Um, yeah. I've been a huge proponent for a long time, but but just in the last, well, probably going on two years now, I've been shooting a, uh, a tension-activated release. Um, yeah. The one that uh, John Dudley puts out, the silverback. Um, years ago, I shot one that was an index finger from Carter called a backstrap. So it was same type of tension activated thing. But, um, but, you know, I started, I started using that as a training tool and I've actually hunted with it the last two years, but what it does is it makes me commit to the shot. I can't break down my form, can't collapse, or I literally can't shoot the bow. Right, and, um, right. and, and so it's, it's been a really, you know, I'll tell anybody you got to commit at least three months to learn it. Cause you're, you're going to get worse before you get better. But, um, but for me, it's just to get out there sometimes and just get some reps in, just thinking about my form. And then again, go back out into those field type conditions and just, okay, what about the scenario? Like, I guarantee you, I can't tell you how many times I've reshot, so to speak, or re, uh, um, uh, set that that bear shot up that i missed like how many times i set that up and shot it again just to try to recreate that and go what could i have done wrong like what could i have done better you know those kind of mm-hmm. probably obsessive things that a lot of bow hunters and archery archery folks are probably 
are probably into, you know, we're a little bit obsessive about our, about our equipment <laughs> and shooting, but I, I think the, I don't know. That's what I like about it though. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah I that, and then I completely. shot a couple of those total archery challenges this summer. And I don't know if you've ever shot one, but man, they are fun. They are so much fun, aren't they? Yeah. I shot uh, South yeah. Dakota last year and, uh, okay. that's, I'm planning on having a booth at, uh, Utah this year and a booth at PA this year and then shooting uh South Dakota as well. Oh, right on, dude. So yeah, we have uh you know um well maybe not obviously, but I work for Sika Gear, so you know, we're going to have a booth definitely um we're a big sponsor of TAC in general, but I think we're going to have a big booth at the Utah, obviously the one at Big Sky. I've never shot South Dakota at Terry Peak, but I really want to shoot that one. I hear it's a really fun shoot. Yeah, it was a blast. You have to come. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll, I'll buy you lunch if you show up there and shoot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Uh, yeah, Deal. no, it's a blast. I had uh, my wife and my son there last year. Um, this year, we'll have two sons, obviously. But uh, we went there, and the first day, it hailed on us. My son and I were out there shooting oh. with a group of guys, and it hailed like crazy. And, uh, you know, he's only six, and he just had a ball. I never, you know, I always knew that he kind of liked archery, but I didn't ever want to push it, you know, because I don't. Yeah. He's he's so young, I don't want to make it work and make him not like it. And I'm not kidding you, John. We'd get done shooting. You know how long the course right? It takes, what, four or five hours. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. we get done shooting. Yeah, can we go Can we go over to the practice range and shoot some more? I'm thinking, <laughs> Holy yeah! I'm like yeah, buddy, let's go shoot some more. And I've got it, got it, got a lifelong archery hunter. Oh after him. man, we'd be standing out there in the pouring rain and say, oh, "Let's go find your arrows." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I wish I'd have started that young. Oh yeah, you and me both, because I I I didn't either. Um, no one in my family does anything with archery, so I, I something that I just uh, I pushed my parents enough that I finally got them to sign me up for 4-H archery, and that's actually what got me started, so. Right, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's an excellent thing to do in the summertime to make sure of a lot of things, you know, that's going to tell you if your sight marks are on, that's going to tell you if your third axis and your bow is on, that's going to yep. tell you if you're holding consistently when you're standing on a side hill, uh, you know, just like you're saying, that's going to tell you if your shot's breaking down, you know, if you have your front shoulders breaking down into your neck. Um, those are just, I, I don't know of any other shoot that you could go shoot more real like, real life shots than those type of hunt, those shoots. They're just, they're, and they're a ton of fun. So much fun. They're a ton of fun and they're challenging. I mean, yep. you know, don't, don't expect to necessarily come back with all the arrows you left with, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious that some of those targets you see just the carnage, you know, at the end of a day, and there's like arrow sass just like busted everywhere, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. Like you, you, I tell you what, before season starts, buy stock in arrow companies, and then sell it after summer after the total archery challenges. You probably make great money. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if Pack has an official arrow sponsor, but if not, they sell it. They yeah, maybe, down there maybe selling, they should selling start arrows and signing them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
the total archery challenge sure. arrow that never breaks. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, so then, you know, as I, as I get closer to the, uh, to my season, you know, I, I, uh, one other thing that I do, I've heard some other guys do it, but it, it it's just something that, uh, you know, I kind of learned, uh, from the military, but, um, and they call them stress courses, but I would, you know, I'll have a pack, it'll be weighted or I'll have a kettlebell or, or whatever it is, you know, and I'll do something, swing a kettlebell, hike up a hill, do push-ups, whatever, and then, and then grab my bow and try to make, you know, I, I stretch it out a little bit, but let's just say a 50, 60 yard shot, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I do it with, I do it with broadheads and, and that's another humbling experience to really tell you, you know, okay, when you're a little amped up and you're a little tired, you know, you think you can shoot the 60 and really your effective range is, you know, 40 or whatever it may yeah, be. But, or 20. <laughs> um, but it's a, yeah, it's a good reminder for me and just it gives me a good, like, it's just a good litmus test to see kind of where, you know, where I am coming out of the summer right before, you know, generally I'll do it in August, even though and maybe antelope season's going on, but really it's a ramp up to to elk season. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, a, a really uh, a really good test as well, just like you're saying, you know, say you have a weighted pack on, you walk up a hill, down a hill, and then shoot at a at a yep. pretty steep uphill shot. Um, <laughs> that that's hard with a weighted pack, and and you would never guess it until you do it. You know, what I mean, I, I would yeah, say that's the most difficult shot for me is an uphill shot, especially if you're breathing heavy at all. It is, it is. I you mean, know, pulling through an uphill shot, especially with, yeah. and let's not even say a heavy pack, because I mean, let's say you walk in for a four-day hunt and you have a forty-five-pound pack on. That's that's not all that heavy. You know, but man, that weight pulling on your, especially your bow arm that's trying to raise that air and that bow up, and you shouldn't, you know, you should draw yeah. a level and then break at the hips to use right. that. And, and that'll help, but still, it's amazing how much harder it is when you're A, out of breath, and B, your pack is pulling on your shoulders, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's trying to break your form down. No, that, that, yep. that is, for me, anyways, even without a pack, those uphill shots are, are, absolutely some of the hardest and they're hard to practice sometimes like i said that ski area is probably a decent place but that's where those total archery challenges you know there's depending on the course you can have a lot of uphill shots and they're yep. pretty humbling <laughs> they're pretty humbling yeah the uh the uphill shot for me is the hardest shot but it also depends which release i'm using if mm. i'm using you know the carter thumb style release and i'm really focusing on trying to pull 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 through my shot I struggle more with an uphill shot. Now, if I have a wrist release with a finger strap or an index finger release and I set back into my back wall and I put tension on it, but then I squeeze with my finger like, you know, you shoot a rifle, my uphill uphill shots are way better, (laughs) way better. Yeah, no, I know. If you, yeah, if you try to shoot a tension activated or something like that, you have to pull through. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a challenge for me. Years ago, I couldn't tell you. I mean, over ten years ago, I guess. But I missed a really nice mountain goat on an uphill shot, and uh, 
I mean, it's it's playing through my head right now, right, haunting me. But um, yeah, I haven't had to take too many of them, but that was probably the first one I ever had to take. And man, I shot right underneath that sucker and blew it up in the rocks behind him. But yeah, they're they're tough. So those are the kind of shots I really want to try to practice. You know, maybe not all summer, but definitely the latter half of the summer, just trying to make sure you know, that my form's as refined as I can make it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, but before we move on, the last thing I want to say about shooting up hills is is the importance of drawing level and then bending at the waist. Oh, and it, it's everything. Shooting, it's everything because if you try to raise your bow arm and shoot, before you even get to your shot, your shoulder's already in your neck, so you're shooting with, Technically, yeah, you may have feel like you made it to your draw stop, but you're not putting as much pressure on your draw stop as you would on flat ground. Yeah. That's why yeah. that's why tension activated is so hard. But by not putting as much pressure, you therefore aren't putting as much basically into your arrow, so you're shooting low. And you know, people are like, "Man, I'm just shooting low. I'm just shooting low." And probably that that could be a, a main cause as to why you're shooting low. Yeah, and I could almost guarantee you that's at least one of the reasons why I missed that mountain goat that, you know, years ago. Well, you don't um, think about it. You're not like, no. okay, there's a deer up there. Let me let me draw a level and then I'll raise up to him with my hips or your, my waist. You don't think about that, you know? <laughs> yeah, even shooting out of a tree stand, I, you know, now I know to think about it, but even shooting out of a tree stand, you know, yep. draw a level, bend at the waist, and, and yeah. everything's kind of squared up like it should be. Yeah, exactly. It's and it's for for the high country guys. It's the exact same way when you're shooting in the high country. You draw level and bend it the waist uphill or downhill. But um, you had mentioned shooting sometimes with your broadheads uh, when you're practicing in the summer. How much of your practice is with your broadheads? So once I once I get my um, you know so come spring here, I'll figure out whatever combo I'm going to shoot. Um, I'll go and validate it and I, I, you know, I'll shoot at a bunch of block targets, um, cause 3d targets are kind of a little more expensive to chew through. And then, uh, what I'll do is throughout the summer, I'll have block targets and they'll be sitting next to, you know, either front or back of these 3d targets. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, ideally I'd like to try to get my, my tune to where my broadheads and, and field tips fly as close to together as possible. Um, ultimately, I, I only care about the broadheads, but I, I will go and then shoot a couple broadhead arrows um, every practice session, along with obviously more field tips. So I may shoot, you know, four field tips and then two broadheads, and I'll shoot the broadheads at the block targets. Um, gotcha, gotcha. And I'll and I'll do that. So for me, anyways, what I've found is. You know, I can go set up a bow real quick and go out in the yard and tune to 50 with broadheads and think everything's good. And then three days later, you go back and it's a little off, you know, and it's just three days later, it's a little off. And so it takes me a while to just kind of circle the drain or whatever turn you want to use to kind of just keep zeroing in mm-hmm. and just refining that tune. You know, one day my, my form might be awesome and everything's hitting uh, you know, exactly the way it should. And then the next day, not so much. So 
you know, I like to definitely spend a couple weeks kind of not pressure myself to get my broadheads tuned. But then I, I want to just keep shooting a couple every session to just make sure that nothing's changed. And, gotcha. um, you know, we get real, we, in the afternoons, we can get some wins here. I get home from work. I want to do some shooting. Um, and it's really windy. And I'm like, yeah, let's, I think this is the perfect time to go out and shoot, shoot a couple broadheads and just see what this, the personality of this setup is. And, you know, a high wind coming from left to right or right to left or, um, just so I can kind of get a, just get a feel of the setup. So I, I actually shoot broadheads a lot. When I lived in Alaska, um, I almost exclusively shot broadheads all summer uh, yeah. and fall. But I don't, I don't, I don't do that so that. much anymore, but yeah. Yeah, because I, I, especially if I'm shooting, if I choose to shoot fixed blades for my primary head, um, yep. I feel way more confident in myself, my abilities, my arrows, everything, if I'm shooting fixed blades, if I'm shooting all my practices with those. Um, yep. You know, I have, you know, I'll just have a few that the blades are dull or whatever. Who cares? Cause right. I'm just shooting them at the target anyways, you know, and I'll just yep. go out and, <laughs> and you're right, man. It tears the shit out of everything that you have, but yep. Yep. confidence is king, you know? Oh, well, it, it's everything, honestly. I mean, if you're, even if you don't have a great tune, but everything's kind of coming together for you and you're confident in your setup, like you're going to be, the chances of you being successful are, are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so basically going into my season right before going into my season, I like to try to shoot throughout because, you know, we can get lazy, don't have a lot of time. That's when I start shooting my broadheads at the 3D targets. And just that, you know, whatever it is, that couple months, I'll end up chewing the cores out and then I'll have to go replace the core. But if I started shooting broadheads at those 3D animals early on, I'd be replacing cores, you know, more often yep, than I yep. could probably afford. So, right. um, but again, it's that, it's that visualization. It's like, you know, not that, you know, I'm not condoning long shots, but it's like, okay, you know, 80 yard shot at the antelope target with the broadhead arrow combo, you're going to shoot the confidence you get when you put it right in the pocket is huge mm-hmm. to then go out and actually go on a hunt for me anyways, you know, oh, it's me like, yep, too. yep. Everything's, everything's clicking for me, you know, everything's good. And, uh, it's just a constant self-assessment of myself. Um, yeah. you know, cause I don't shoot good all year. Sometimes I go into the season, I'm not shooting good. I'm like, Oh great. This is a, not a good time <laughs> of the year to go into a slump, you know? Shut up, a uh, bitch. <laughs> I know, right? You're like, what the heck? Yeah, um, I uh, I've even had uh, the one season. Uh, I don't remember. I missed one or two deer, and and one deer I missed because of pure stupidity, and the other deer I missed, I packed out an elk in Colorado, and I hit exactly where I was aiming on that deer. So I didn't think to check my peep if it had moved or whatever. And I got back Uh from that hunt, you know, and the next day I go out to go hunt and I get into this deer that's bedded and he stands up and I shot right under him and I went home and I could barely hit the target at 40 yards. (laughs) Yeah, my peep had moved. I mean, it was insane. It was like, it was a whole half inch or something. I mean, it was a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, 
You know, yeah. but in the heat of the moment, I drew back and I just made my the eclipse. You know, I made my peat fit over you my side work, the eclipse, yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, good to go. You know, no, I wasn't. Um, but at that year, I would even before I would go out there, I would pull the arrow that I was going to shoot at the first animal. I would draw back at 50 or 60 yards, and I would shoot at the foam target. <clears throat> and if I mm-hmm. didn't hit in the middle. I would stay there until I felt confident with my first shot, you know, and then I resharpen those broadheads real quick, put them in my quiver, you know, unless one hit the dirt and I would switch heads completely. Um, but resharpen them. And then I was like, okay, I feel good now. You know, I'm, I'm ready to shoot something, but man, I just like say confidence is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if and if you're not shooting good, at least you know that going into the hills that day that maybe you shouldn't push it, you know? Exactly, exactly. I, I go out to the hills, and, and I just dead-centered uh, uh, the target at 100 yards, you know? Okay, 60, 70, 80, yep, we're, we're going to do yep, that. But, I'm feeling good, yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling yeah. good, but if I go out there and I miss the target at 40, I might not shoot past 20. <laughs> <laughs> just undermine my all my confidence. Yeah. Yes, yes. It went out the door before I even thr- let that arrow go. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! So, so what was your what was your first hunt that you had in the fall? Uh, so I started with antelope in Montana, and uh, buddy came down from Alaska. He killed a goat first stock first. Uh, first stock, first day. And, Damn. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Two years in a row. So the, so two years ago he killed last evening of last day. And this year he killed, uh, this last season he killed first stock, first day. So, uh, he's kind of got it bookended. Uh, I don't think he's going to come back this year to antelope hunt, but, um, and I just, I, I, I think I hunted six days for antelope and, I had some opportunities and I just, I could never close the distance. I just, you know, I'd get to a hundred yards and I just couldn't get any closer. And so, uh, it's the first year I didn't get my antelope. So I was pretty bummed out about that because I love to eat antelope. So does my wife. Um, and then I went on a mule deer hunt with, uh, with some writers, some magazine writers. And, uh, in five days I got one stock on a mule deer and, uh, just was, that was there never in able Montana? to kind of, it was in Eastern Montana. Yeah. Just was gotcha. never able to pull that one off. Um, and then, and then, then, then elk season started. So, uh, really by the time I rolled into elk season. So if you remember, I said, you know, I'd hunted in January. I was successful. Then I missed that bear in May, then didn't end up shooting an antelope or mule there. So I'm rolling in to, to elk season, like kind of questioning my ability as a hunter. You know, like, yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, I, I, I know I did everything I could, but it just wasn't coming together for me. And, uh, so then, uh, hunted elk here in Montana and the last evening of the last day ended up killing a bull. And, uh, obviously I was, I was stoked on that. And it was one of those deals where, um, you know, like I, referred to earlier was super super windy that evening and i it was just like couldn't hear bugles they couldn't hear us and and i'd seen a bull in this patch of timber that afternoon and so we went over there and this bull came in 
quiet to our calls. And at one point, he was 10 yards away and just inside the timber. Holy um, smokes. Yeah, yeah, just completely silent, though. And it was it was getting dusk, you know, and so he really didn't know what we were. We had the wind. and I just, I knew he was going to, I could see him coming from my left to right, and there was really nothing to range. And I, I in my head, I calculated 30 yards and 30 or 32. I forget what I was saying in my head, but. And I just came to full draw and stepped out a uh, little quarter and two and, you know, just put it right where I needed to and, and shot him. And then the guy was over my shoulder filming and we kind of reviewed the footage because, you know, by this point, you know, give it 15 minutes, it's dark already. Mm-hmm. And it looked like it was, it looked like it was perfect, but he was a little, when he stopped, he kind of turned his shoulders to me. So he was a little more quarter and two than I, and then I kind of thought. Okay. And um, so we were like, uh, we got to back out of here. You know, we we got to do the right thing. And and came back two hours later, and uh, Zach, where he where he ran back inside the timber, there was a puddle of blood that was at least an inch deep, and Holy it had, it had run down it had run downhill and formed another puddle of blood. Um, and there were like three or four of these in a row, and then you could see where he had stood on this little skid road and then tipped over and fallen over a, a down tree. So he didn't go, but I bet you he went 50 yards, you know, something oh, like that. So that's so awesome. pretty, 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 pretty stoked about that. And then within a week of killing that bull, I think it was within a week or 10 days, uh, I killed another bull down in, in Utah. And, uh, you know, so your season goes from you sitting there questioning yourself and not having the success that you kind of hoped for. And then you're like, damn, I just killed two bull elk in a week and I've never done that before. Yeah, and, um, awesome. and that and that scenario was one that and it's not the exact scenario. I'm still living for like the exact scenario, but we had kind of kind of come into this basin from the top and this bull's down in the bottom. And I mean, if you didn't know any better, if you didn't know that, you know, that's a bull out down there rutting, um, you'd have thought it was the dogs at the gates of hell. I mean, this thing had a fugle that was just like, it was, it was almost scary. Even when you knew what it was, you're like, God, I don't know if I want to go down there and confront that thing. And, um, and, and we couldn't just cause of wind and thermals and things. And so we'd had some encounters with some elk kind of a little higher on the ridge and, I don't know, maybe it was like nine o'clock in the morning and this thing fires off again. He hasn't left this wallow down there. And, and, uh, so I told the guy that was with me because he's a better caller than me for sure. I said, I said, dude, just, uh, let out a little bugle. So he let out a bugle. This thing responds back and he waits a couple minutes and, and he gives a cow call and this bull responds again and he's cut the distance in half. Like we're oh pulling him gosh. up, we're pulling him up the mountain, and uh, you know I had a guy, a, a really good hunter and a friend of mine. He told me years ago about archery hunting in general, but especially archery hunting elk. He goes, he goes, it's really the success is going to come down to split seconds, and it's all about you doing everything you can to prepare for that, but you have to react. Like you can't, or you can't overthink it, and. This thing is like, I don't know if he was running up the mountain, but he was closing the distance fast. And we're looking around, 
and I'm standing on the trail, and it just kind of funnels like it's, he's going to come up and funnel right to me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I'm like, I'm, I just said to myself, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill him right here. And the other thing I said to myself is, I've got to wait to draw till the last possible second, just because of, he's coming through aspens and stuff. And I knew the trail would bend a little bit. And yep. I figured when it got to the bend, when he got to the bend, that's when I was going to draw, which is going to be about 25 or 30 yards. Again, I didn't really have time to, to range anything. And sure enough, he comes up, his head's back. He's, you know, god-awful bugle, steam's coming out of his nostrils. And I'm standing there on the trail like, I'm either killing him or he's coming over me, you know, kind of feel. <laughs> And when he got on that little, like, curve of the trail, his head went behind uh, some spruce boughs. And I drew my bow, and I'm like, if I can get the full draw, I can kill this elk. And I drew, and his head was behind there. And I don't know if he heard me or saw me, but he couldn't see me because when he stopped, his head was behind those boughs. And I'm at full draw, and I'm like, he's dead. And I shot him. And uh, I think he went about 37 yards. And so it was weird because both of those scenarios were like right about 30 yards, a little bit quarter and two, and I didn't have time to range. Um, but the results were, you know, were the same. So, yeah, yeah, I was, I was stoked. I was stoked. I'd never had that kind of elk success before. Oh, man, that is so cool to hear, especially with somebody, you know, that is out there putting in the time and the work and the effort. Um that's it's really interesting too because you had two quartering shots on elk mm-hmm. which is a, a an extremely controversial shot you know it's, it's not ideal that, yeah i and you know honestly i don't know like i shot mine quartering too this year and he ran down the hill, and I think the only reason he made it so far is because it was such a steep hill, and he was just going downhill. Because he went downhill, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Gravity you know, did he, the work. Yeah. yeah, and he still didn't even go that far. He probably only yeah. went. He probably only went eighty to a hundred yards. You know. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've said this before, and I don't know if it's controversial because, uh, quite frankly, I don't read any comments or anything like that from right, right. <laughs> uh, from anything but um i don't know what that says about me but but all all i would say is you know all i would say is if you do your practice and you're confident and you're shooting the right setup that you know the, the animal to me is i i respect that animal and i want to make a clean quick kill but also, this is the real world, and so you're not going to get every shot where the animal is standing completely broadside, dead still, right? And so the only comment I make is you need to take the first best ethical shot you get. Hopefully that's broadside. It'd be great if it was a little quartering away. But if it's a literal quartering two and it's well within your effective range and you know where you can put the arrow, and you know where you know you know you can put it there, and you know where to put it. You need to take that shot. And the dirty little secret is, some of the most successful elk hunters that have been hunting probably by themselves for twenty years, and never talked about it, have been shooting elk frontal with great success. 
right? And again, I'm not promoting that and telling other people they should do it. Everybody needs to make their own assessment. But if it's well within your your uh, abilities and you're shooting the right setup, you know, you should take the first best ethical shots you get. Yeah, and not only that, I think uh, I, I think people got to realize too, and especially if you're hunting elk solo, you're the caller. They're going to come into that call walking towards they're you. They're coming to you. <laughs> yep. You know, they're coming they're gonna, right to you. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of, if you know where, just like you said, you know, if you know where to put the arrow, that's an extremely effective shot. Oh, it, it's it's devastating. I saw one this year. This bull came up the mountain completely silent, 15 yards, guy shot at frontal. And, it, I mean, the, the, the elk was dead on its feet. It went 50 yards, to your point earlier. It went 50 yards, and the only reason it did, because it went downhill. And when we opened up that elk, I mean, there was definitely blood on the ground. The damage that that arrow had done running stem to stern on that thing was unbelievable. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. That 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 animal was not walking away from that shot, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, I just... I think, you know, everybody's got to figure that out for themselves. But I, I, in my mind, my opinion, um, I would much rather shoot that elk that comes into my call frontal at 10 or 20 yards than try to snap shoot as he decides to whirl and run away because he knows something isn't right. Yeah. Like, to me, that's a far lower odd shot than me having that bull come in. I'm at full draw he's standing there and I'm putting the pin welded right in the center of his chest. Like that's a high odd shot for me. I'm not real good at taking snapshots as they whirl to run out of there at 60 miles an hour, you know? So no, everybody's got to figure it out. The the amount of, of deflection and everything along those lines that happens to your arrow when an animal whirls and the loss of yeah. energy and momentum and kinetic energy that it loses when that animal's whirling is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And they're big critters, you know. Yeah, they um, are. <laughs> you know, you want you want to get a good shot on them. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, uh, would you have any hunts after Utah? Yeah. So I had one more hunt. This was I was when you and I were kind of going back and forth. I'm like, oh man, I like I really want to get this last hunt under my belt because I wanted to uh, I wanted to tell you all about my adventure. I had all kinds of high hopes. I was going to come and tell you about, you know, this big Canadian bull moose I shot and a mountain caribou. And, and, uh, I don't have any, any of those stories to tell you, but I did fly into Northern British Columbia and, uh, hunted with Dustin Rowe, um, backcountry BC and beyond. He's, he's one of our athletes and a great guy. And he just bought this area a couple of years ago. And so anyways, the idea was we were going to fly in, we were going to be the last clients in camp. And he's got a series of camps. And then we were essentially going to hunt for 12 days while we were, you know, uh, shutting down the cabin. And we were going to trail all these horses out, right, all the way back to the trailhead. So grand that adventure. That sounds so sure. cool. Oh, dude, it was it was an amazing adventure. It was an amazing adventure. Um, kind of the one... Uh, you know the one the one problem was the moose rut probably probably ended two or three days before we got there. Oh, um, gotcha. Yeah, there were four of us in camp, and and two guys did end up killing bulls. Um, I after twelve days and 
best I could figure, 120 miles in the saddle. Uh, never saw bull moose. I never saw Dang. bull moose. Um, we did ride up super cool, though. We rode up kind of away from the trailheads. You know, like I said, we're going to trail out. We rode a day and a half away from the trailhead uh, up into the mountains on this big plateau. It's full-on winter up there already in the middle of October because um, the mountain caribou were rutting up there. And uh, my hunting partner was was able to kill a really big mountain caribou with a rifle. And uh, I'd never been around those animals. And, man, they are just – they're incredible. I mean, a mountain caribou is, for whatever reason, at the top of my bucket list for – you know, for, uh, for hunts, I'd, I'd love to kill like a, you know, a big, big mountain caribou and velvet, you know, some year with my bow, but, um, that was an incredible experience. And then, and then to ride out, um, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't think anybody's ever called me a cowboy before, but, um, <laughs> I, I didn't, I did enjoy the riding and I really, you know, kind of, kind of got into it. But, uh, yeah, but the last day out was a complete rodeo. And, you know, the guides are talking and Dustin's talking. They're like, because we, we were all kind of friends and industry folks. And, you know, they they knew we could handle ourselves. And But they're like, dude, this is going to be rough. Like, this is going to be, you know. And I'm like, God, like, what are we getting into? Oh, yeah, we got into <laughs> it. Like, fogs and swamps and boulder fields and sometime you know a couple hours after dark i get this you know 1800 pound draft horse that's decided to fall over in a boulder field got me pinned got my leg pinned on the downhill side um, one one guy got bucked off and and got a concussion oh it was awesome i mean it was great adventure i was fine the horse was fine like everybody got out of it alive um great stories to tell um just absolutely fantastic but you know i didn't have an animal to show for it but i i gotta tell you that was that would have only been icing on the cake the the, the yeah. hunt was just just an incredible experience for me um i'd never done something that you know i'm a been a backpack hunter my whole life i've never been around horses like that to that extent and and just uh you know great people and great guides and wranglers but Oh man, I, I, I mean, I, I do it again, but I probably wouldn't sign up to do it again anytime soon. <laughs> not the ride out, not that ride out. That was, uh, that was wild for sure. Oh, that sounds super wild. But like you say, what an adventure, man, how you, you probably wouldn't have that kind of an adventure, you know, in, in 10 other hunts put together, you know, that's, uh, yeah. no, that's maybe not. Awesome. Yeah. That's yeah, I mean, I've had awesome. some good adventures over the years, and and that if that's not at the top, it's definitely right near the top. And, you know, the other interesting thing was we were kind of, you know, we flew in, we're kind of working out of this one camp, hunting out of this one camp for a few days. And, and uh, you know, British Columbia had passed that law. There's no grizzly bear hunting anymore. And, you know, I tried to get a tag just to see, like, okay, well, we're damn near in the Yukon. And they're like, nope, it's British Columbia, can't get a tag. And so sure enough, you know, there's snow on the ground every day. So you can see tracks and, and sure enough, we got this big grizz and he came into camp and he stole the moose cape one night, walked right through the center camp, stole the moose cape. Uh, he went down to the cabin on the lake, stole a bunch of meat out of that cabin. And then, uh, and then one of the guys killed, 
killed a bull. Like he killed it the second, I think he killed the bull the first or second morning we were there. And they didn't take horses. They actually just hiked out. I, apparently a client the week before had gotten in on this bull. So they're like, let's go see if we can find that bull. And they did. And uh, they got a, you know, great video and they killed a really nice bull. And so obviously they couldn't get it out because they didn't have horses. So they quartered it up, put it in game bags, et cetera. And they went back the next day with the horses and that we're thinking it's the same Grizz, you know, had, had cashed that, had cashed that bull moose, like the, the, you know, the pile of dirt was six feet high, it seemed like. And, and, uh, they were able to get one bag of meat, salvage one bag of meat that hadn't been soiled, um, out of that, out of that cash. But yeah, that bear was definitely causing a lot of problems in that area for sure. And then we just kind of rode away from him and never had an issue again. But he was definitely claiming his claiming his territory, no doubt. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's you know, as as you know, hunting in country like that where there are bears, man, that adds a whole different aspect to your hunt, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But you know, like in Alaska when I lived there, those bears had. Not that you couldn't get into problems, but those bears had a healthy respect for humans, and obviously the humans had a healthy respect for the bears. But, you know, the bears had been hunted enough that there was a mutual respect. And, you know, kind of some of the areas where you are and I are and I am up here, you know, there's there's no grizzly bear hunting yet. And those bears kind of look at you like, what are you doing on my mountain, little man? Like, yeah. You know. And <laughs> uh, like ding, ding, dinner. <laughs> exactly. And you got to, man, you got to. I'm, I'm, I would tell you I'm more cautious down here with grizzly bears than I was up in Alaska by far. Yep, for sure. They just yeah. have a different attitude. They just have a different attitude. Oh, I actually talked to uh, here. They look like you. They, they look at you like you're a criminal if you defend yourself too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that thing wants yeah, to gnaw to... on my body. <laughs> I'm going to defend oh, myself. Oh, they will. <laughs> I, I talked to two guys this year that got that got mauled by Grizz. One was was here in Montana, and and one was a guy up in Alaska actually. Um, and uh, you know they both they both were able to walk away with injuries for sure, but minor enough that you know a couple months and they were able to recover and not lose too much flesh, and you know we're we're all in all okay, but. Man, it just seems like it's happening more often than, and you know, and here it is: archery hunting in grizzly bear country is probably like the dumbest thing you can do. <laughs> hey, let's be quiet. Let's camouflage ourselves. You know, let's walk into the wind, and you know, and then kill something and bend over and try to cut it up. You're like, wow, what are we thinking? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I just. I'm just going to walk up there like a giant walking T-bone and, uh, you know, I'll shake my ass a little and maybe they'll come take a bite out of it. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't, I used to hunt by myself in Alaska, but I don't, I don't, I don't do that so much down here anymore. Maybe antelope or something like that, but. Right. I was hunting this year by myself in Grizz country and, uh, I had a, a 357 pistol, uh 44 yep. mag semi-auto rifle and bear spray all with me. Well, yeah. <laughs> I can't. Well, John, the only reason I had the pistol is because I figure after he's not on me for a while I can shoot myself because I <laughs> I can't I can't hit the broadside of a barn with a pistol, let's be honest. Um 
But no, the nice thing about the pistol is it could be in my pocket or whatever. Even if I drop my package yeah. on a stock, I have something. Um, yep, yep, and it's but, good for close quarter shooting. Yeah, in that forty four mag rifle, I mean, it's gosh, the barrel might be fifteen inches long. You know, it's it's a mm-hmm. brush gun okay. through and through. But so when I found my elk, what I did is I had my pistol in my pocket and I had the rifle loaded, leaning right next to me. You know, and yep, and yep. Uh, it it wasn't in super dark timber. Thank God the unit I was hunting didn't have a ton of that. But you yeah. know, about every every forty five seconds, I'd pop my head up, take a good look around. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's, it's, it definitely is nerve wracking. We went, we oh. came up on, uh, we went back to get this most of this guy's bull out. I think they got just a little meat the, the night before, and it was quartered up and and hanging. And we went back in to pull it out that next day and. As we're coming in, this bear runs off the carcass, and I didn't see it, but you know, but this bear runs off, and it, the guy's like, "Dude, I don't know if that was a grizz, and they're not supposed to be in this mountain range we were in." But he said it was brown, and it was a bear, and we go up there, and the carcass had been there had been some dirt thrown on the carcass, you know, and nothing had been chewed on, none of the hind quarters or anything. So I'm like, I don't know if black bears do this or not. Yeah. And uh, and anyways, I think it was that next day, maybe. We ended up running into the biologist in that area, and he's like, "Um, yeah, black bears will cache, but they won't cache like a grizzly. And, you know, he's like, there's not supposed to be any bears in this area. Haven't been for 100 years. He goes, would you guys mind going back in there and putting a a trail camera up for me? Because we didn't want him going back in there buggering up our hunting, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and we did, and and then he came back and, and told us he confirmed on the camera that, it was a color phase brown, right? A, a black bear that was a brown, brown color phase, and then a really big black bear was in that area. So, um, no grizzly. Couldn't confirm a grizzly, but it definitely made our hackle stand up when we saw that bear run off. And you know, you got to go in there and finish. But we had three. No, we had yeah, three guys. So that made it. You know, you got a little strength in numbers. But when you're by yourself, well, man, cool. Yeah, not just strength and numbers, but if if your guys that you're with know what the hell you each one of you needs to be doing, you know. Yeah. I mean that I think that probably gets people in trouble more than than a lot of things. Yeah, I mean you come around the corner and there's a mom and and her cubs, you know. Yeah, obviously you get between them, obviously. But if you guys, you know, you're cutting something up and you got more than one person, one person is not helping cut up and they're watching. Right. <laughs> that is their yep. job. And they're not watching without a gun in their hands. They're watching with a loaded weapon. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. Oh, a lot of assurance man. there for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, John, it sounds like you had, you had an, epic season uh man i was just on the edge of my seat when you were telling me about those two elk hunts there's <laughs> there's nothing like elk coming in and just screaming right in your face and you have to make everything come together and make the shot man it's just there's nothing like that you know no i'm addicted 100 percent. i'll admit it it's <laughs> just, it is the most primal thing you know, if if it's not the most primal thing, it's one of the most primal things a, a, a hunter can experience uh, yeah. in the mountains. It's just, it's got me hooked. I, I never thought I'd say this because I was a big, I still am, but kind of a big mule deer guy. But man, if I had to pick one species to hunt the rest of my life, no doubt it'd be elk in September. There's just no doubt. Oh, he's been swayed with everybody. a bow, you know, with a bow. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, those the elk screaming in your face, that'll that'll I think that would sway a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, wicked, wicked. So if with your with your hunting, whether it be this year or not, what is one situation when you're in the outdoors or hunting that just absolutely makes your skin crawl? You know, you're just like, oh, God, I'm in that situation. I hate it. What What's a situation like that for you? Um, well, I'm not a big snake guy. I can tell you that. <laughs> so, I think we just became best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Are we CFF? Oh, my God, um, I hate snakes so bad. I tell you, not not a lot makes my skin crawl except snakes. I do not care for them. I don't care to be around them. I don't care to necessarily be around terrain that I think they're in. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I had to kill one in my yard this last summer and it just freaked me out. And, uh, you know, a lot of times where I elk hunt, at least in Montana, I don't normally kind of encounter them or think encounter them, but definitely during the antelope season. It's, right. You know, it's something I think about all the time. And then if I had to go one deeper, um, I would say ticks. Ticks, really? Not a big tick. Yeah, not a big tick fan. Not like a snake, but not a big <laughs> tick fan. <laughs> not like a snake. No, <laughs> anything that wants to burrow into my body and lay eggs is like probably not something I want to deal with too much. So, um, but yeah, the the snake thing is not. It's not super cool. That's one of the things I did like about Alaska. I didn't have to deal with either of those things. Right. I yeah. Deal with very I, large brown bears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, awesome. Did you, uh, you know, kind of wrapping this up with your with your past season? Did you have any any close calls or you know any any moments that were that were dangerous where you kind of had to be like, okay, what should I do now? Did you have you know, obviously, when the horse rolled over with you, that that was probably probably a little scary and on edge. But did you have any others that were you kind of just find yourself in a hard situation this last year? Um, no, I, I really that that the the bear incident, or I'm sorry, that the horse incident was probably the one for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, you know, the the weather cooperated uh, for the most part. Um, I know on that bear hunt, we went out on a, went out on a boat on this big lake and, um, this just kind of reaffirmed, uh, some of that preparation that I do, but, and we had gone way around and, and hunted bears and, and had this encounter and, um, there's grizz as well where we were in BC. And again, like I said, can't hunt them. And, and we were coming back that night and the weather was starting to pick up and, and get cold and and uh me and another guy who uh i kn- knew from the service you know we were we were on the boat and i'm just looking around and i'm like we're gonna run like there was a really good chance we were gonna run out of gas before we got back uh to camp and then we we're Yay. just gonna kind of drift onto some shore and you know me and trevor we look at each other and i just smile and he smiles back and because we know that we got this covered like we've got all our survival gear we got tarps like and we're going to be able to take care of 
everybody else on the boat, um, who for the most part was not prepared to necessarily <laughs> right. do that. And, uh, right. you know, I had a, I had a GPS, I knew where I was, I had all my stuff and stuff. Although that wasn't an incident, I knew that very quickly it could have been. And, and just that, that preparation that I've done, preparing my gear, working on my field craft, you know, those kind of things, um, you know, I wasn't, I mean, although it wouldn't have necessarily been the most comfortable, it'd been like, yeah, this will just be part of the adventure and, and, uh, you know, and we'll be able to, we'll be able to figure this out. Um, so, so that was, that was just a good reminder for me that not get complacent and, uh, due diligence. Yep. Due diligence, focus on the details, that kind of thing. So, yeah, but other than that, the, the horse one, I was really lucky to walk away from, to be honest with you. Um, just by yeah, the grace like, of God, how, I was able to get out of that. Yeah, how did, so, cause, cause I, you know, I've you know, obviously grown up in Wyoming and I've had horses fall over and used to ride bulls and all, all that stuff. So I've been in some hairy situations. All right. Um, yeah. If you're riding bulls for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what, you know, uh, did the horse slip and then fall over with you on it or every, well, you know, kind of walk I don't know. We, how'd you get out? We had this really long pack string. I want to, I, I, wanna, I, I, I can't tell you definitively, but it was like 28, 30, 32 horses long. Like it was a long pack string. And uh, so the Wrangler, she was in front of me and she was trailing two horses and it was dark. You know, was, the moon hadn't come up uh, above the mountains yet. And I had my, my headlamp on and I had a red lens I didn't want to scare the horse, you know, with the white light. Come to find out, he could have cared less. But um, some of them do and, care, though. So it's yeah, right. <laughs> so she's in front of me, and all of a sudden, I I just I kind of hear her just scream, and I hear this, you know, you hear uh, horses' hooves on rocks, et cetera, that kind of deal, and and the next thing I know, you know, my horse is kind of falling out from under me. And come to find out, we're going through this kind of side hilling across this big boulder field. And the horse, when we ended up turning our headlamps on, the horse had stepped to the left where he probably should have stepped to the right. And he fell. There's like a big three-foot hole between these big boulders. And he had fallen and rolled to his left side. And just just by sheer luck, you know, I was... I, Riding in that terrain, my feet were, you know, ready to get pulled out of the stirrups. And so it was out of the stirrup, but he was laying on me. But my lower body had laid on a flat rock at like a 45-degree angle. So it wasn't like contorting me in this weird position. And I'm thinking, I got to get my leg out of here before this horse starts to, you know, buck and try to get up. And he, I did, but he's dead calm. And so I, I yell a couple profanities, as you can imagine, and, and people <laughs> kind of get off their horses and, and turn their headlamps on. And this horse had literally fallen, like big, like 1,800-pound draft horse, was laying like three feet down in this kind of ditch that these boulders had created. And his back legs had twisted so that his bottom leg was wrapped over his top leg and then they were pinned to his body with a boulder and we were not able to get this horse out of this and uh you know took the took the bridle off and took the saddle off and and 
you know, after three or four times, this horse is starting to get uh, tired. And, you know, they, they told us, they're like, yeah, there's, I forget now, probably overinflate it, but I think they, I want to say there was like eight, eight carcasses, horse carcasses on this trail in this section. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, as you can imagine, this thing's huge, but we were able to slowly kind of work his feet to where he could get underneath them and then get up. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, once I was out, I was like, you know, everybody's like, you fine. And I'm, I, I thought I was, you know, you never know for sure with adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Then I was more worried about the horse. And, and honestly, I, I, I was fine for about 24 hours. And then I had deep bruises from my, from my hip to my ankle that lasted well, well over a month. Oh, I um, bet. Yeah. Well over a month. And so I had that. And then, uh, you know, three of us got Giardi on the trip, so that was always the that's always the sweet kick. Oh, that trip. Sucks. Yeah, yeah. Which I blame myself. I've never had it. I've always been prided myself on that, so I could check that off my bucket list. <laughs> Just did that, and uh, yeah. So I mean, you want to talk about the gift that keeps on giving? It was a great adventure. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad you're okay, man. That's. Uh, <laughs> I do. I've had I've had uh, some sketchy things. One time when I was younger, I was walking up, I was following my dad on a horse, and it was a pretty steep hill, but it was real icy, and the horse fell mm-hmm. down on all fours, and we just started sliding backwards. Oh, and geez. yeah, and uh, that was that was pretty sketchy. Uh, same trip, that horse rolled over with me a couple times, and it was, you know, at, at twelve or fourteen years old, that's. <laughs> That's interesting for sure, but yeah. yeah. Well, pe- people tell you that's part of the deal, and I just, I just never experienced a big horse trip like that before, and I'm really glad I did. Yeah, but, it's a great. Man, I'll experience. have a totally different appreciation going into the next one. You know, hopefully, I get to do. Uh, yeah, know, for sure. Maybe and I one think, or two more, but. Yeah, and I think people just need to realize the horses are excellent. Um, but you're just adding something to the equation. It's not if it's going to happen, it's when. No matter how good the horse is, how good the handlers are, um, there's always you're just, you're adding, like say, another thing into the equation, and yeah. something will eventually go wrong somehow. You know. <laughs> yeah, and the, I mean these horses were excellent. You know, they obviously they'd been in there all season, and the wranglers were amazing, and the guides. But I mean the terrain we were going through. Uh, you know, for me anyways, it was graduate level riding. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, but that, but that just added to the adventure. <laughs> oh, hell yes. That makes you the know? adventure way better. I mean, if yeah. you can walk down the yeah, trail, sure. are you going to walk by, down one that's got a sheer cliff drop off on one side and a cliff on the other? Are you going to walk out through the middle of the prairie? I would choose the cliff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet. Well, John, I've I've had an absolute blast, and I always I just enjoy chatting with you. You know, I think uh, I think we're pretty like minded, and I think we find adventure in very similar things. So I just love chatting with you and having you on the podcast, and hopefully we can have you back on and and sometime. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time to talk. I, uh, I, I we should we should make it sooner than than uh, than this last time, right? It's been too long. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I yeah, it was 
gosh, I don't know, it was almost two years, wasn't it? A year at least. I think so, Zach. Yeah, it's, it's been too damn long. So, um, yeah, let's let's uh, let let's do it again. Let's maybe after spring season or something, we can get back on and and talk about some some more adventures. Sounds excellent. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lambers. And a special thanks to... Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.